0: Got a friend, Shiloh, who's going to read for us this morning.
1: I'm going to be reading John 21 through 10, the resurrection. Early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. She said, They have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. Peter and the other disciple started out for the tomb. They were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He stooped and looked in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter arrived and went inside. He also noticed the linen wrappings lying there, while the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. Then the disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed, for until they still hadn't understood the scriptures that said, Jesus must rise from the dead. Then they went home. Wow, that's
0: good. Thank you. Thank you, Shadow. I love that. That's great. Those are the words of Easter, and happy Easter, and happy April Fool's Day, which is it's kind of weird. You know what I mean? It just, it's not sacrilegious or anything. It is. I mean, I like, I like pulling pranks. Um, uh, in college I was known as the secret deviant because I would do all kinds of pranks on people, but never, uh, be found out. Cause for me, I'm not the kind of person that wants to be there when the re- revelation is, you know, the reveal the, I just want to know that I did a good job and later on you hear about it, you know, cause then you're not caught. Cause if you're caught, you have to stop. But if you're not caught, you can do it for years. I, I, I love pulling prank some people. Uh, my son who's 16, he's in Cuba. He hates this day, not Easter, but April fool's day. He hates that. He hated going to school when there were pranks being pulled and it just was unsettling to him. I love it. I just never pranked him. Um, but man, I enjoy, I enjoy a good prank. Um, I, I, I think about this a number of years ago, one of the gals that worked for me many, this is many years ago, actually, uh, you know, she heard about computer viruses coming up. And so I loaded uh, a little, little piece of software on her machine that would sneeze every few minutes. And, um, and lo and behold, a few days into this, she's like, Pastor James, I think my computer has a virus. Like, really? Let me check that out. I took care of it for her. And then I remember loading, uh, someone else, I loaded a piece of software that randomly changes your keyboard strokes. So you'll be typing along and all of a sudden it's gibberish. I'm like, Oh, you must have one of those defaulted uh, keyboards. You need to go get a new keyboard. Sure enough. Put a new keyboard in. It works. You know, I love pranks like that. And then it is like 20 years later, they find out and then they hate you. But man, for 20 years, it's awesome. Knowing you got them. Um, I've got one I'm working on right now. I can't tell you about Uh, one day you might find out, but uh, it's, it's about a month in the planning, a couple weeks in planning execution. I'm still working at it at my house. Uh, I'm going to actually do it tomorrow and it's going to take weeks before this person finds out. And I won't even want to be there when they find out. I'm just going to know the sweet satisfaction of a job. Well done. I love pranks. I love that kind of stuff. You know, that is really, really cool. I once uh, rotated the wheels on my wife's car. She never found out. No, just teasing. Um, Hopefully yours are better than that. Um, you know, when you think about pranks, though, when you think about the things we do, um, we're, we're pretty gullible people at times. We believe all kinds of things, and we're easily taken in. Uh, you know, and sometimes if you watch YouTube, you can really be taken in. You shouldn't be watching YouTube at all um, because there are all kinds of weird stuff on there. Just recently I've been looking at some of the top pranks, you know, the hundred pranks, the best pranks of all. And I've been watching, you know, what some people consider our pranks. Like, did you know that the earth is actually flat. If you're a round earth person, you've been pranked. Because you don't see the curvature of the earth, right? Uh, or, do you know that you've been pranked if you believe that the upper echelon of society is actually uh, made of human beings? Because they're actually lizard people. Okay, they are. And, and, and they're, they're an alien species that controls uh, the Illuminati of the world. And for you poor people that don't believe that, you've been pranked, right? Um, and, and Paul is not dead. Elvis is still alive working in Burger King, right? Okay, all you think he's dead. Paul looks dead if you've seen him lately. Okay, um, th- things like 9/11. I was sitting in Kigali, Rwanda, th- this last trip, talking to a young man I know and love, I've seen for years, and we're talking, and he talked about conspiracy theories, and he said, "Do you know that 9/11 was a hoax?" I go, "9/11 is in like New York." He goes, "Yeah, it was all a hoax. It didn't happen." I'm like, what do, you, "What do you mean it didn't happen? You're like an inside job? I've read about that. No, it didn't happen." I go, "Oh." Okay. Mirrors, David Copperfield, the buildings are gone. 4,000 people dead, right? He goes, yeah, didn't happen. I'm like, you've been watching YouTube, haven't you? He goes, yeah. I go, don't. Okay. (laughs) Stop it. Stop it. You know, I mean, it is kind of fun to watch some of those things to think, why do people believe the things they do? People, I'll be frank, people are really gullible, right? Okay. I mean, seriously. I mean, I had a fifth grade teacher that was a little weird once, but aliens, that's just like over the top lizard people, you know, I mean, we are. Our that we believe a lot of things, but imagine if one day you woke up and all of a sudden you did find out something you had spent your whole life believing was false. Imagine that uh, uh, there was a different reality. You know, I don't know about UFOs and aliens and things like that and Sasquatch, Bigfoot. I, you know, I, I don't know, whatever, but imagine something deeply held uh, a, a reality for you is shattered with a new piece of information. That's how it was for me. When I was a young person, I love pranks. And in fact, my favorite prank of all times, my favorite prank of all times, uh, was played before I was born in 1957, the BBC put a three minute broadcast out there and it showed the spaghetti harvest in Switzerland. And it talked about the bountiful harvest this year because of number one. The mild winter, but most importantly, the near absence of the spaghetti weevil. It showed a family in Switzerland enjoying pulling off the spaghetti from the trees, laying it out there, drying it, and ultimately having a wonderful spaghetti meal, saying that there's nothing that tastes better than homegrown spaghetti. Well, you got to realize, in 1957... I mean, in the UK, they didn't really eat a lot of pasta or a lot of spaghetti. And so people called in wondering about this. And so the BBC, the, the telephone answer answer operators said, here's what you do. If you want this for yourself, you get a little can uh, that had pasta in it. Put, keep a little bit of pasta, about a third of it in there. Put some spaghetti into it. Put it on the front window and let the sun you know, hit on it. And within two to three weeks, you'll start your own sprout of a spaghetti tree. <laughs> Thousands of people in the UK they did that see that's the kind of prank i like that's an intelligent prank cuz one day they're going to go man i was stupid okay talk about gullible cuz they people did it you know at some point you're like when is this going to grow into something or just throw it away see i remember i remember discovering something was true that I had long ago thought was false. I I grew up in somewhat of a religious background, going to church with my grandparents every once in a while, believing there was a God. But this whole idea of Jesus being God and Jesus you know, dying on the cross, that's a nice thing. Uh, Resurrected and all that stuff, I'm not really sure. I know Jesus did good things. I believed he was a historical figure. But, But, I mean, seriously, nobody dies and comes back to life again, right? And I remember... And when I was 15 years old, being confronted with the evidence that showed that Jesus did in fact live, he did in fact die, and he did in fact rise from the grave. And I was stuck at that point because I had believed it wasn't true and I had lived my life accordingly. It wasn't a concern for me. But when I was presented with the evidence that demanded a response from me, I was stuck. Because now all of a sudden I had come to believe a different reality, that there really truly was a death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it threw me because that, the implications were huge for me, were so significant. And I remember experiencing what, well, what we read in John 20, uh, just verse 8. It says here about this disciple John that he reached the tomb first, and he went in, and he saw and believed. See, I'm a skeptical person. I'm a cynical person at times, and I need a lot of evidence to kind of push me over the edge. And all of a sudden, like John, I saw all the evidence. But then the question was, was was I going to believe it or not? Was I going to take the step and actually believe the evidence that was out there? You know, when you think about it, you think about the reality of what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that Jesus Christ came. Jesus Christ did some amazing things. Jesus Christ healed people. He loved people. He taught people. Uh, Jesus exercised demons out of people, which proves he had a junior high ministry. Um, Jesus did wonderful things. You know, he fed thousands. He cared for people when they were sick. Um, he, He loved them to the point of gathering followers alongside who did an amazing thing. But then one day it all fell apart or at least seemingly fell apart, not according to plan or at least the disciples plan. Was that Jesus was coming to be the Messiah. He was coming to Jerusalem to sit on a throne. And when all of these men and women who had followed him were going to be there at the moment, they were going to sit on thrones. They were going to overthrow the Romans. God's son, Messiah, had shown up and then everything fell apart when Jesus was arrested. He was captured at night in a garden. He was taken away. He went through Jewish trials, a Roman trial. He was convicted of insurrection against the Roman government. He was sentenced to death and he went to a sacrificial death, a horrible death, a shameful death on a cross, a criminal's death on a cross. And then he died and people saw him die and they took his body away and they buried him and all hopes were dashed. All hopes were gone at that point because they had rested everything on Jesus being this one who was going to rescue them from slavery to Rome. And he died. Now imagine that reality waking up. The next day on a Saturday when everything is gone, when all hope is lost, when it's dark. Now, we know that Jesus has told the disciples again and again and again in the stories, the Gospels, that he's going to rise again. But they didn't get it. And now they're in a situation where everything is dark. They're despondent. There's no hope. Every dream they've had has been shattered. And then these women go to the tomb the next morning to finish anointing Jesus' body, to finish wrapping it and preparing it for the burial and the final resting in a tomb. And as they go there, the Roman guards are gone. The big stone that had been rolled against the entrance of the cave of the tomb is gone. It's blown away. And they walk in and the body is missing. It's gone. And as they wonder. Angels appear to them and tell them the story. Jesus has risen from the grave just like he said he would. Now go and tell all the disciples. So they run back. And, you know, women were not credible witnesses back in that day. Or at least they weren't considered that. Now it sounds pretty disparaging, but that's the truth. And the women come back and the men, they run to the tomb. And this is what it says. John looked into the tomb and he saw and he believed. Now, think about that. I mean, if you were to hear that someone died and then rose back from the grave, you would naturally think if you're, you know, skeptical person like me, that the person didn't really die. Right. you know, just in January of this year, a guy in Spain had this happen to him. Take a look at this man declared dead snores to life right before autopsy. Now, I've had some really good naps in my lifetime. You know what I mean? I have had some good naps. I've even snored myself awake. Anybody? Come on. I know you've done that. Yeah. So this guy's, this guy's dead. Three doctors say he's dead. And all of a sudden he's in the morgue. He's in the autopsy room. It's a good thing. He snored at the right time. Yeah. Yeah. And can you imagine, can you imagine being the person that you're working on a body over here, a cadaver, and you're, you're cutting up and you start to hear snoring. (laughs) That's got to be freaky right there. That's like a movie. And then the person wakes up and then you're running for your life, right? I've seen zombie movies. I know what the walking dead looks like, right? This guy wasn't dead. He looked dead. Maybe Jesus just looked dead, right? Maybe they were confused because... In our right mind, does anybody believe that a person dies, like really, truly dies, and then comes back to life again? Well, then I had to be confronted with the fact when I was 15 years old that all the evidence says he did die and he did come back to life again. And if that's true, everything in my life hinged on that moment of believing or not believing. And I made the choice. I remember doing this, seeing and believing that Jesus Christ really was all that he said he was. Everything he did. Not just the good stuff. You know, I think it's possible uh, to, to, to come to church. In fact, if you're here at Easter, and this is kind of not normal for you to come at Christmas and Easter, so glad you're here. But you probably are in this situation where you believe a lot of the good things that Jesus did. I mean, he's a historical figure, sure. Uh, but, but, you know, working with people and loving people and, and feeding people, that's all good. And, you know, preaching and teaching good messages. But, but, but a lot of you, in fact, I would say even a lot of people that come to church on a regular basis, even sunrise on a weekend, believe like you that, yeah, that's all good. But the really truly miraculous part, the supernatural part, that's a little hard to read and believe. Maybe people put those words in there to give people faith, but no rational person says or believes somebody died and came back to life again. Right. And yet the reality is I believe that. I don't believe a guy in Spain did it, but I believe 2000 years ago, a man in Galilee did it. A man down in a tomb who was laid to rest as dead rose again. Now, why why would I believe such an audacious claim as that? Well, uh, there were eyewitnesses. There were people that had actually seen Jesus and then they wrote about it. A guy like Matthew Matthew wrote a story about Jesus. He was one of the early followers of Jesus. Matthew was a tax collector, which meant he was a Jewish person that turned against his people to raise money for Rome and to skim off the surface of whatever he wanted. So he was wealthy. And one day Jesus walked up to his tax collecting booth and he said, Matthew, follow me. Matthew left everything and became a follower of Jesus. And for those years, he saw Jesus and he recorded what Jesus did. And then Jesus died. He was buried and he rose again. And Matthew wrote about it. He wrote an eyewitness account. It's called the book of Matthew in the Bible. We spent about a year and a half preaching it a few years ago. An unbelievable story. Matthew said, I want you to know that everything that you're reading is true because I was an eyewitness. Uh, Mark, Mark was an eyewitness to the things of Jesus. Uh, He hung out with Peter, learned from Peter's perspective, gathered all this inside information, and he wrote about it in the gospel of Mark. Luke, Luke was a doctor. Luke was a detail guy. If you've ever read Luke or the book of Acts, it's great. I was in a reading group a number of years ago with some guys and we read through the book of Acts. And for a while, I was kind of annoyed that Luke put so much incredible, intricate detail into every little thing about every journey. It's like, who cares what port you went to and what tavern you went to and what this you went to and what you did there. And, you know, it's like, but you know what? It's all been proven to be true. And you can now go back and you can see in history, everything that Luke wrote about painstaking detail Luke wrote about and Luke wrote about Jesus death and medical doctors have examined Luke's record. Luke's record goes, yeah, this guy knew he actually died and Luke recorded the brutal death. Where he died on a cross, a, an execution death. He died in such a way that his blood drained from him. His oxygen drained from him. He couldn't breathe anymore. He asphyxiated. Uh, he was pierced with a sword up into his side where blood and water flowed out. His heart was pierced. The pulmonary sock was was pierced. Jesus died. He expired. He literally died. And Luke describes how they pulled his body off the tomb and how they went to wrap it for burial. They ran out of time because it was Passover and the next day was Sabbath. And so they laid him in the tomb to come back. Luke with detail. John. John, one of the earliest followers of Jesus, wrote about Jesus. He talked about how Jesus truly was God. And at the end of his life, he wrote the whole story down about everything Jesus did and said, in fact, at the end of his book, he says, there wouldn't even be enough books and libraries in the world to contain all the stories about Jesus. But I've written these down. So that you would believe. So that you would know that what you have in your hands is an accurate representation. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. All those gospels written by first account. Witnesses. Eyewitnesses. Then you've got guys like James and Jude. James, the first book written in the New Testament. James and Jude were brothers of Jesus. I mean, that'd be a stretch, right? To believe your brother is God. I know your brother thinks he's God. But I mean, for you to actually believe he's God, right? Seriously. They came to that compelling evidence. They saw and they believed that Jesus was indeed the Messiah sent from God. And then ultimately you have a guy named Paul. Originally, Saul name changed to Paul. His whole mission was to destroy the church, destroy followers of Jesus, to get rid of this cult, this sect of Judaism that's destroying everything we believe. We have a religious background, a religious history. We have a system and these followers of Jesus are telling everybody about this false messiah. And he had one mission that was to destroy this message and the messengers. And then he met the man one day on a road. And Jesus himself showed up and revealed himself to him. And Paul, his whole life was turned around. He flipped everything around and became the most ardent evangelist for Jesus and the message of Jesus. See, these were eyewitness accounts. Why do I believe it? Because they wrote it down, it's credible, it's historical. It's been embedded in the pages of scripture and even people around the time and just after the time of Jesus wrote it down in other books and other letters. They talked about it. It was a historical fact. You can believe, you know, half of the story if you want the good things of Jesus. But if you're only going to believe the half of the story and not the whole of the story, then I think, you know, you've been snuckered. You know, you've been bamboozled. You've been you've been believing a lie because you can't take all the good stuff about Jesus All the great teachings, like turning the other cheek, loving your enemies, being kind to animals, all those really cool things. Some of you didn't even catch that one. Um, And and yet not take, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the good shepherd. I lay my life down for the sheep. I am the resurrection and the life. Even though you die, you will live again. You can't take half the story, my friends. It's all or nothing. It's all or nothing. Now, the reality for you and for me is that we didn't see it. We didn't know it. But either it was real or it was all a hoax. The Apostle Paul starts to write it down for a group of believers so they would know for sure that what they believe was true. And it's in First Corinthians 15. It's page 879, but I want to read it to you here from the screen. He says, let me remind you. This is Paul, the one that was on a search and destroy mission of the church. He says, let me remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of the good news I preached to you before. The good news that it's sometimes translated as the gospel just means the message that's been sent out that brings joy. The good news. The good news that I preached to you before. You welcomed it then and you still stand firm in it. It is this good news, this gospel that saves you if you continue to believe the message I told you. But then he says this, a little caveat here. Unless... Unless, of course, you believe something that was never true in the first place. What if it was all a lie? What if it was all false? What if it never really happened at all? We'll talk about the implications of that in just a moment. But let's keep reading. He says this. I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. And here it is. This is the good news. Christ died for your sins. Just as the scriptures say. He was buried And he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. This is the crux of the gospel. This is exactly why Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, James, Jude, Paul, all those original followers of Jesus. This is what they wrote about and why they wrote about it, because they said, we need to communicate this story down. We need everybody everywhere to hear this, that Jesus Christ, God's son came, that he died on the cross for our sins. That's why churches have crosses. That's why people wear crosses as jewelry or symbols, because they want to be reminded of the fact that all of our sin was paid for on the cross by Jesus that he died for our sins he was buried he was put away in a tomb and most importantly he rose again there was a resurrection that is the hope of all of our lives but if Christ hasn't been raised then nice April Fool's joke because we are fools for believing the message let's go on he was seen by Peter And then by the 12, these are the original disciples. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time. And in other words, it's it's one thing for somebody to say they saw, maybe it's hallucination, maybe they were confused and it was dark or whatever. But But to have dozens of people, hundreds of people see Jesus at one time, you don't have group hallucinations like this, okay? This is the evidence. Paul says, you can go check it out. In fact, he says this, most of whom are still alive. You can go talk to them today. Now, he wrote this 20 years after the fact. You can go talk to them today and you can get an eyewitness account of everything that happened. Though some have died. Then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. And then he adds this last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him for I am the least of all the apostles. In fact, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle after the way I persecuted God's church. What Paul says is, you know what? I hope you take my word for it because I delivered the gospel to you in the first place. But if you don't go talk to Peter, go talk to the other disciples, go talk to the 500 people, go talk to the women that were at the tomb. They're still alive. I mean, some have died, but they're still there. You can know this with certainty that what you believe is true because I passed it on to you. It had been passed on to me. I know and you can put your trust in this message that Jesus Christ came, that he died, that he was buried, and that he rose again. What that means, my friends, is if you want to take Jesus halfway, uh, then the message is just really going to fall apart. Because Jesus' entire message, I know he healed people, I know he loved people, I know he fed people, but his entire message was that God loves the world so much that he gave his only son, Jesus Christ, Himself to come into this world to die for us so that whoever believes in him does not have to perish, does not have to suffer in their sins or for their sins in eternity, but could have everlasting life. And that is proven by the fact that Jesus, the man who said the words was God himself, that he himself rose from the grave and you and I have hope. So I don't really think there's a way to just go to church and just accept the good stuff. I know people do it all the time, but I would say this to be frank, if you're doing that here, You're probably the biggest fool of all. Don't mean to offend you. But why would you waste your time going to church? Seriously? Dressing up and going to church? Go go mow your lawn, right? You know, go have a barbecue somewhere. Sleep in. Uh, Why would you give to charity? Why why would you be altruistic? Why would you think about others? If this is the only life you have, you should spend every dollar on your pleasure. Because you only go around once in life and then you die, right? If this is all there is. I mean, why are you kind to people? Why, why, why do you join clubs and groups? Why? I I know we need community and we're, you know, commune based human beings, but shouldn't you be thinking about yourself? Shouldn't you live for yourself? Shouldn't you focus? Why would you serve people? Why would you help anybody else? Right? If we're just evolved, you know, primates, why would you care for someone else? The survival of the fittest says, if you're fit, you survive and who cares what happens to anybody else, right? If that's all we are. If we just came from some primordial ooze or soup somewhere billions of years ago, if that's all we are, then we should live for ourselves. But if this is not who we are, if we're made in the image of God, if we're created to be known by God as relational spiritual creatures, and then there is a hope for us and there is a life for us and there is a way for us. And it's found in Jesus Christ and those who die. They're not just food for worms. Even though their body decays, their soul, their spirit is with God. And one day we will see them again, right? I mean, what hope do we have if this is the only life we have? In fact, Paul says this is a ridiculous faith we have. Now, I love to read. I love to study. I love to think about people who were ardent atheists and, and they just were ag- against the church and angry about this idea of God. And then they examine the evidence and all of a sudden they become passionate followers of Jesus. And I, I love that because they've made a journey that I made. I wasn't like them necessarily. But Chuck Colson is a good example of this. Chuck Colson, he was one of the guys in Watergate back in the early 70s, uh, broke in to the hotel there and part of President Nixon's men. And anyway, it was a lot of corruption there. He says, I Know the resurrection is a fact and Watergate proved it to me. How? Because 12 men, he's talking about the original disciples. They testified they had seen Jesus raised from the dead. Then they proclaimed that truth for 40 years, never once denying it. Everyone was beaten, tortured, stoned and put in prison. They would not have endured that if it weren't true. Now, it's possible to believe a lie. No question. He's not saying that. But to create a lie? And then believe it so long that you give your life for it. Nobody would do that, right? Maybe one bizarre Charles Manson type person, but all 12 of the disciples and then more than that. And look what he says. He says Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world and they couldn't keep a lie for three weeks. You're telling me 12 apostles could keep a lie for 40 years. Absolutely impossible. In other words, yeah, it's possible to be to believe a lie, to be lied to, to be deceived, have the wool pulled over your eyes. Um, but if you created the lie, maybe for your own means, your own benefit that I can understand that. But then if you died for it, see, all of those early followers of Christ gave their life for this message. They, they went to horrible deaths. In fact, Peter himself, he was going to be crucified and he did not even consider it worthy to die the same way as Jesus. So he asked to be crucified upside down. People were, were killed. They were burned. For 300 years, these early followers of Christ, they were destroyed. They were eaten by lions because of the belief they had in Jesus. Because they had met eyewitnesses and they had transferred the message on and on and on. It had been written down. And you and I have it now 2,000 years later. And now, Paul writes only 20 years, after the, 20 years after the event of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Only 20 years passed. Not hundreds of years, as some people have said, 20 years. Yeah, it's possible for errors to creep in, but 20 years? You could go back to the eyewitnesses. I've spent uh, much of my time in East Africa and Rwanda. It's a beautiful country now. But 24 years ago, almost a million people were murdered in an attempted genocide of eradicating a whole tribe of people. You go there now, and you can go to church after church where people died. You can go to memorial after memorial all around the country and you can see now you can see what's left of bodies and you could go down into tombs. You could meet people. I've been to reconciliation villages. I've heard story after story after story of survivors of the genocide and they tell of the atrocities of men, of women who picked up machetes and destroyed family members, neighbors. Just complete strangers because this darkness came into their heart. And then I have sat and listened to stories of perpetrators who've said over and over again, I was the one that killed. I was the one that executed. And then they have gotten out of prison. They've responded to the message of Christ. They live side by side and they tell their story that in Jesus, God can change anyone. Now, these people will tell you this happened 24 years ago. But if you would pop into Rwanda right now and you were to walk around and go, it was all a lie. Nobody believes this, right? There were eyewitnesses all around the country that know it's a fact. What Paul is saying is, believe me, but if you don't believe me, go to the people that are still alive and they will tell you the message. Because the overwhelming, incredible avalanche of evidence says Jesus lived, Jesus died, and then Jesus lived again. And that is what these people gave their very lives for. You know what it means? It means that we have hope. Paul says this, but tell me this, since we preach that Christ rose from the dead. Why are some of you saying there will be no resurrection of the dead? For if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then all our preaching is useless. In other words, April Fool's... (laughs) Okay? We've all been fooled. All your faith is useless and we apostles will be lying about God. For we have said that God raised Christ from the grave. But that can't be true if there is no resurrection of the dead. And if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. He's repeating himself for emphasis here. Let's go to the next slide. He says this. And if Christ has not been raised, here it is. Your faith is useless and you are still guilty of your sins. In other words, if there is no resurrection... Stop wasting your time with this church stuff. Stop wasting your time with this Jesus stuff. He was just a footnote in history. He's just a character that did some really good things, but then he died. And dogs ate his body as they they took it off of the grave, off of the cross. Somebody stole it. Somebody paraded it. You know, the fact is, if Christ has not been raised, then we have no hope. Now, I just want you to know, I have a hope. Even though I know people, I, one of my dear friends passed away just a couple days ago. And if Christ has not been raised, then she will not be raised either. If Christ has not been raised, all those who have passed on have died into oblivion. And when they died, the lights went out and that was all they had. But if Christ has been raised, then you have a hope. And you have an understanding that though we live and though we die in this world, we have another life to live for. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, in other words, if we just could become religious people and go to church and clap and sing and do our stuff, if we just try to make the world a better place, we are to be more pitied than anyone in the world because we've been lied to and we have been snuckered. We've been bamboozled. We have been fed a stream of lies. And everybody should pity us, right? We are the fools of the world. But Paul says here to conclude this passage, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. Now, I got to be honest. The thought of somebody dying and coming back to life, that's hard to believe. It's it's hard to, to swallow that one. It really is, right? I'm a modern, scientific, cynical person. I need information. I need facts. But when you examine the facts, you Matthew, Mark and Luke and John and James and Jude and everything that Paul wrote, people that were there that witnessed that were a part of it and you read their stories, you go, man, this does hold up. But the implication is life or death for you and for me. What do you do with that? Will you see? OK, but will you see and believe is the question Will you actually take a step and say, I'm not just seeing the information. I'm trusting in it. That's what I did. December of 1979, I saw it and I made a decision to believe that Christ Jesus came and that he died for my sins and he rose again because that's the whole story. My friends don't water down church or water down the Bible by just believing the good stuff and the stuff of self-improvement. It's all about the death, the burial and resurrection of Christ. Now Christianity hinges on this one event. Paul says it this way in chapter four, verse 10. Our dedication to Christ makes us look like fools. In other words, you can be a fool in the eyes of God or a fool in the eyes of everyone else. Make a choice. And if you choose to follow Jesus, there will be people that will look at you and say, you are a fool for believing that. But it's your choice. You want to be a fool in the eyes of other people or do you want to be a fool in the eyes of God? Uh, Stephen Colbert, late night host, uh, he, he said it this way. He, he talks about being a fool for Christ. OK, and he says to be a fool for Christ is to be wrong in society or wrong according to our time, but right according to our conscience as guided by the Holy Spirit. In other words, in other words, you have to go against the flow. You have to go against the grain. You have to be willing to risk everything that people might say about you and think about you. And I know that's a lot to risk. But if you're willing to risk it all, some may look at you and call you a fool. But it's better to be a fool in their eyes and be right with God. Because one day when you die, if you're not right with God, you would be considered a fool in his eyes. And that's life or death, my friends, at that point. Paul says this, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are headed for destruction. But we who are being saved know it is the very power of God. I know a lot of people will look at you and they will say, sure, you saw, but you believed seriously. You believe that, but it is a message of foolishness to people that don't understand. But my prayer is today that you would see and you would believe, um, my wife and I celebrated our 22nd anniversary, uh, week ago, Friday, she was in Cuba. Um, so that was a fun time. Um, that's okay. I've done that to her. I was in Rwanda a couple years ago during our anniversary and. I was a youth pastor, so every anniversary was a spring break trip to Mexico or something. So, um, but, but I knew her or I met her five years the day that we got married. And I remember 27 years ago being on a mission trip down to the Bay Area, California, living in Idaho, driving down there. And I, I remember that day I walked into her room. She was way in college and I saw her senior pictures, her portraits on her piano. And I saw those and I fell in love with her. And I knew in my heart that I was going to marry her, not the pictures, but her. Of course, the only problem was I don't know that I'd ever see her. Okay. So that's, that's, that's the problem. And so I had to figure out how would I meet this gal just so happens that the morning we woke up to drive away, they had come the night before and she was there and I had breakfast with her. It was the best Cheerios I've ever eaten in my entire life. They smelled good. They tasted good. They brought a smile to my mouth as I was sitting across the table looking at this person that I knew in my heart I was going to marry. But, see, the problem was I was living in Boise. Not that that's a problem. It's a great city. I love it. Okay. She was living in Richmond. Okay. Which is not as nice as Boise. Trust me. But I, I could have sent her letters. And I did. Remember that? Those were good days, letters. You write those by hand. Stamps. U.S. mail. I did send her letters. Um, I could have made phone calls. I did make phone calls. I could have sent email back in the day when the only email was AOL or CompuServe, right? But I did send emails. But you know what I had to do? I had to go. And for about five years, every four to six weeks, this is what I would do. I'd hop in my car on a Thursday. I'd drive 12 hours down to Richmond. I'd stay all Friday with her and spend the day with her. And on Saturday, I would drive all the way back home to Boise. And I did that for about five years. Why? Because I'm a fool uh, for her love. You know what I mean? But here's why. Because I was in love. And in matters of love, you go yourself. And I went and my friends, God loves you. He loves you so much to come himself to this world. And he entered into this world as Jesus Christ. God in the flesh to give his life for you and for me. And it's my prayer and my hope. The whole reason we do church. The whole reason we have everything here so that you would see. And that you would believe that there is a God and that God is a God of love that has given everything to you. And that you would take that step of belief. The Bible says, if you believe in your heart, if you confess with your mouth, if you believe that Jesus is who he says he is, he's the one that rose again from the grave. Then you need to say those words. You need to say, you need to confess it. You need to agree with your own mouth that Jesus is Lord. You need to believe in your own heart that God raised him from the dead. That's the gospel. And then that will take you from just being a human being in this world to being connected to the God who made you and longs to be reconnected with you, that did everything possible to make that work. And it's what we do here at Sunrise. We share about Jesus the good news so that you would see and that you would believe. Now, I want to pray right now. As we close our eyes, as we bow our heads, I want to ask that question Have you seen and have you believed? The reality is this, and the truth is this, and the evidence is this, is that God loves you in spite of your brokenness and sin, in spite of your separation, in spite of the way that life has treated you here on the earth, in spite of the way that everything has happened, God still loves you and longs to know you and invites you to know him through his son, Jesus Christ. This kind of love demands a response. It requires a repentance of our heart to come to him in brokenness and humility to be able to, with our own mouth, confess that Jesus is Lord, he's boss, he is God, and to believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead. And God says in that moment, we will be saved. We will have hope. We will have new life. You must respond to it. You will either be a fool in the eyes of God or you will make the transfer And you will see and believe, and others may think you're a fool. But I would rather be the fool in the eyes of the world than a fool in the eyes of God. Jesus continues to call people to follow him. He continues to call people like you and me to die to our own lives, to give up everything at all costs, to give him 100% of who we are so that we will see and believe what he's done. And I want to invite you to take that step of seeing and believing the bible says that when we come to that point we can we can freely receive it not through religious duty not through following all the rules but by faith by simple faith in what jesus has done on the cross is paid for your sins that you would see and believe in fact with all of our heads you know, bowed down and her eyes still closed. I want to invite you, if you would like to receive this message, if you'd like to see and believe today, you could do this. In fact, I want to offer a little prayer. No one's looking around. I still have my eyes closed. Just raise your hand up that you would say, Today is the day I want to see and I want to believe. Would you pray with me? Father God, thank you for loving me. In spite of my brokenness, in spite of my sin, my rebellion, You love me, and I can't help but love you back. God, you died for my sins. You were buried, and you rose again. And today, this day, April Fool's Day, 2018, I see and I believe. You are my Lord. You are my Savior. I confess it with my mouth. And I believe it in my heart. The Bible says in that moment when you do that, like me so many years ago, you are in a right relationship with God because of Jesus Christ. And you are now saved. You are no longer a fool in the eyes of God. No matter what anybody else thinks, you are a son. You are a daughter of the creator God who loves you so much. God, I want to pray for people here that they would see and believe that you would do this work in their lives. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.